Welcome. Thank you for listening to Spiritual Living with author and teacher Francois Feinberg. May the message you're about to hear earnestly touch your heart, and may it encourage you in your ongoing love of God the Father, your enjoyment of the Lord Jesus Christ, and your fellowship in both the Holy Spirit and the body of Christ. In Paul's epistle to the Romans, there is an apocalypse, a revelation, if you will, an unveiling of the gospel of Jesus Christ, and particularly how a sinner who has fallen short of the glory of God can become the the son and daughter again of God and be redeemed, saved, and declared righteous and just before God. In the first seven or so chapters, Paul places a lot of emphasis on the wrath of God against all ungodliness. In essence, he says everyone is really ungodly. If you're an idolater rejecting God, there's condemnation on you. And if you are an observant religious person, even a Jewish person of the stock of Israel, and even if you were to have broken just one of the commandments, you are under condemnation. In chapter 7, that condemnation really reaches a climax where even if there's good intentions inside of you, and you really want to please God, and in your mind you even agree that the things of God is right, and it is holy, and it is good. In Romans 7, the conclusion there is, I, I cannot do the things of God. I can't do the things of good. And Paul would make that statement, wretched, miserable man that I am. And there is this cloud of condemnation that hangs over us. But then, because of Jesus Christ, here comes the gospel. In Christ, and because of the life-giving Spirit, there can be the actual experience, not just an initial, but an ongoing reality of this experience of not being under the condemnation of God. So no shame on my part anymore, no guilt, no inferiority, no fear in running and hiding from God. I can boldly come to the throne of grace. Why? Because there's no condemnation upon me. Why? Not because I'm so good, not because I've avoided this and that evil, not because I'm self-righteous and keep the law, but because I am in Christ. In Romans 8 verse 1, Paul would say there is no condemnation, zero condemnation for the man or for the woman that is in Jesus Christ. Later on in Romans chapter 8, Paul would say, God is for you. God gave Christ for you. You have been justified through Christ. Christ intercedes for you. God's love is for you. And Paul makes the argument in the concluding portions of Romans 8 that there is absolutely nothing that can separate you from the love of God. And even if difficult times were to come, suffering and persecution, famine and nakedness and peril and sword, 
None of these things is an indication that you are being condemned by God. You are being shafted by God. God's wrath is upon you. God's curse is upon you. Paul is wanting for us to know in Romans 8 that even if we live in the Spirit, even if we've been justified, at times life is going to be difficult. You might even experience being led to the slaughter as might a lamb. Paul is trying to just sear this New Testament covenant and dynamic into us. God is not to be interpreted through your circumstance, through your suffering, through your difficulty. There is no condemnation for you. And in this message, I hope you hear loudly my burden. And this is something I have to contend for even in my own life, because at times life is difficult. And at times I wonder Am I back under the condemnation of God? Have I done something wrong? Have I not measured up? Have I dropped the ball somewhere? Is God picking a bone with me? And I have to, in faith, come back to the gospel again and again and again and again. God is for me. And in Christ, there is no condemnation. We are in Romans chapter 8, and I want this session to focus on the phrase, no condemnation, a powerful phrase here in chapter 8. We have said before that the first seven chapters reveals the wrath of God and the condemnation of God upon those who are outside of Christ, but by believing We have come into Christ, and for the person, the man and the woman, in Christ, there's no condemnation. So, right there, there's a little bit of a challenge as to the way that we live. If we live outside of Christ, we live outside of the principles of Christ, outside of the rhythm of Christ, we live, let's say, outside of the Holy Spirit, Uh, we, we, we take the grace of God in vain, we block our ears and our heart to the wooing and the moving of the Spirit, and we revert back to the flesh, then obviously outside of Christ there is going to be condemnation. That's to be expected. But the converse is true. If you are in Christ, Paul says, and Jesus is your Messiah, and He is your Savior, then according to Paul, Even as you struggle in this Christian life, and even as you and I still fumble and blow it, as we inevitably do every single day, Paul says, from God, there's no condemnation. And this is something that you have to take by faith, and we will unpack that in due time. But the heart of God is that all condemnation stops, not just from God, but it stops from the devil and it should stop from myself. And I don't know if you've had this experience, beloved, but in a way, I know God is no longer pointing a finger at me. I know Satan has been blocked from me. He's been cast out. I know that. But I still allow my own fingers to point at me and stab me and condemn me. 
and this is something that we want to address also in our upcoming sessions. How do I get over condemning myself? Certainly God don't condemn me. Then why do I keep condemning myself? And we want to address that issue. But for now, I just want to focus on the fact that as far as God is concerned, from God's angle of things, there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has freed me from the law of sin and death. So let's focus now on this issue of no condemnation. And I want to ask, what is the basis? What is the foundation whence I can experience no condemnation from God? Well, I want you to come with me to the latter part of Romans chapter 8. And I want to see if I can address this question from Romans 8 itself. So pick up in verse 31 of Romans chapter 8. What then shall we say to all of these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? What a marvelous, marvelous verse. I pray you mean business with that verse. I pray you take it at face value. And I pray that you sear it into your heart and into your conscience and into your intellect, into your emotions, and you allow the Holy Spirit to substantiate and realize, tattoo, if you will, from modern Bible translations. May God tattoo that verse deep into the core of your inner man. But what is the basis for no condemnation from God? Well, first of all, the basis that God is no longer mad at you, no longer vindictive towards you, if we could say it that way. God has no longer wrath towards you. He's not against you. God is for you. So that is a basis for no condemnation. So the application is simply this. Beloved, listen. When God changes His mind regarding you, then you can expect condemnation from God. Until He changes His mind, which by the way is not going to happen, and I will prove that to you in due time, God is for you. So God is not going to change His mind regarding you. Why? We will cover it in due time because of the cross of Christ. The cross of Christ satisfied the wrath of God. So now God has no more condemnation. He has only acceptance and He has only a welcoming heart towards me. Praise the Lord. Number two, what is the basis for God not condemning me? It is in verse 32 of Romans chapter 8. It says, Indeed, He who did not spare His only Son but He delivered Him up for us all. So God gave His only begotten Son, the Gospel writer would declare. It says, How shall He not with Him also freely give us all things? In other words, God gave the greatest gift of all time. So if God gave the greatest, greatest, greatest gift, which is His very own being in the Son, for you, then surely He'll give you all things freely. 
But one thing God cannot give you is wrath. He cannot give you condemnation. Praise the Lord. This is the gospel. People say, you know, God can do all things. No, He can't. There's a couple of things God can't do. We know that He can't lie. He can't give you any more condemnation. He can only give you that which is for building up, for strengthening. Only that which is in accord with the offering of His Son that procured for you a red carpet before God. Entrance into the throne of God. God can only lavish you and bless you. Ha! Hallelujah! This is the basis for no condemnation. God gave you His Son. In verse 33, we see the basis for God not condemning you is that you are justified based on the redemptive accomplishments of Jesus Christ. God is for you. He gave Himself to you. And then He justified you. And God's justification is a permanent justification. It's not that you're justified until you sin. Then He condemns you and you lose that justification. No. God justified you permanently. You are righteous with God permanently. And this is a basis for God not to condemn you. Praise the Lord. Look here in uh, verse 33. It says, Who's going to bring a charge against God's chosen ones? Then Paul makes an emphatic statement. God is the one that justified you. If God justified you, and God is the highest authority in the universe, then the the rhetoric here is simply, the logic here, the implication is, can anything under God accuse you now? Answer? No. If... The President of the United States acquits you, which is the highest authority in the land. If he sets you free and he says justified, not guilty, then can any citizen that's below the President uh, condemn you and incarcerate you? Answer? No. But then again, many of us have been acquitted by the highest authority. No satanic onslaught can condemn me. But there's still a little bit of an issue with many of us. I condemn myself. And we're going to see a little bit later, you only condemn yourself insofar you disbelieve your acquittal before God. God says, you're free, you're acquitted. But if I don't believe that word, then, yeah. You condemn yourself. So that self-condemnation is just proof that you don't fully believe the gospel just yet. But we will get into that. So the basis for living free, the basis for God's love is that I'm justified by God. So I say it here in verse 34. It says, Who is he who condemns? His rhetoric is brilliant. If, if God justified you and God is the highest authority and He has acquitted you, then nothing below God can really condemn you. So he says, who can condemn you? It is Christ who died for you. And furthermore, 
Christ was also raised and he is seated at the right hand of God interceding for you. So the fact that somebody died for you is the basis for no condemnation. The fact that somebody's blood was shed for you is the basis for no condemnation. The fact that God raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand is the basis for no condemnation. And then even better, the fact that Jesus intercedes for me is the basis for no condemnation. No matter which way we spend this thing, you cannot be condemned by God. Oh, glory. Glory. Freedom. Absolute freedom. And that's what Paul is after in um, this chapter. So what shall we say to all of these things? If God is for me, who can be against me? Probably only you. It's not your parents. Satan cannot be against you. The only person that's probably against you is you. Indeed, he did not spare his only son, but he delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Who shall bring a charge against God's chosen ones? It is God who justified you. Who is the person who can condemn you? It is Christ Jesus who died for you, who was raised, and he's also at the right hand interceding for you. Huh. Verse 35. Who can separate me from the love of God? Your union with God, as you'll see in a, in, in a minute, your oneness with God is the basis for no condemnation. Listen, if God condemns you, He has to condemn Himself. God does not condemn Himself. You've been made one with God. So the day that God condemns you, that day, He will have to condemn Himself. And beloved, that's just not going to happen. I want to address this issue of circumstances, this issue of the conditions of life, favorable conditions, difficult conditions. I want to address this issue of the comforts of life and the conflicts of life. Can any of these things be an indication that God is for you or against you? Obviously, when life goes favorable, it's easy to say, thank you, God, that you are for me. But let's just say life turns out to be unfavorable. Things are circumstantially tense and difficult. And things don't add up in my life. Is God still for me? Or is that proof that He's left me? He has been separated from me. And is it proof that because all these things are going wrong, that I'm under the condemnation of God? Paul wants to address that issue. And I want you to notice how he says it here um, in verse 35. He says, Who shall separate me 
or us from the love of Christ. Shall tribulation, that situation, that condition, that circumstance, shall anguish and distress, shall persecution, shall famine, famine doesn't seem to be a favorable thing, when I'm hungry and I'm naked and I'm empty and, and I don't have shelter and I perhaps don't have a job and my friends have forsaken me, is that an indication that I'm under the condemnation of God? Famine, nakedness, dangers, being in peril, the sword of a Roman man constantly here at my neck, when the government is threatening me constantly, and I don't have this civilian freedom, and I live under a communist regime, and I live under oppression where all my taxes go to the government. He's basically asking, is that proof that God has left you? Is that proof that God is against you? And his answer is going to be no. No. There is no circumstance that can remove you ever from the love of God. Even death, you'll see in a minute. So he says, um, as it is written, verse 36, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. We've been accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Paul is trying to let the Romans know here, when things get so bad that you might as well be just a lamb led to the slaughter. And we have, beloved, such an example all throughout church history of the people of God, whether it be Christians or whether it even be the Jewish people, led like lambs to the slaughter. Paul's rhetoric here, his logic here is nothing can separate you from the love of God. So, in the Inquisition, in the Holocaust of the previous century, um, is that not proof that God is against? Is that not proof that God condemns? Is that not proof that you've sinned and therefore God's wrath is being poured out? And Paul would say, no, even if you're led to the slaughter, that is not an indication that you've lost favor with God. This is a difficult message to, to speak. I'm sure it's a difficult message to hear. But Paul is basically saying, famine? So many people have lived in famine. Paul would say this is no indication that God's against you. So many people have lived naked. That simply means they've not had adequate supply. Paul says this is no indication that God's against you, that you're condemned of God. When a soldier's sword is constantly at your neck and you're being led like a lamb to the slaughter and you're actually dying as might a martyr for the Lord. Paul says this has nothing to do with the love of God for you. Beloved, you have to have tremendous faith to believe Paul here. And furthermore, you have to have the experience that the comfort of God can keep you when a sword is at your neck. And you have to have a vision of the eternal life and the resurrection to calmly and collectively take the sword to your neck. And there's been many people that have had such experiences where a sword is at their neck 
a gun is at their head and they have to deny God. And where many might say, where is God in that moment? Where is the love of God? Where is the favor of God in that moment? If you believe your Lord and you've had the experiences of His love that is not predicated on circumstance, and you have a vision of the eternal life, and you have a vision that you will be resurrected, that this body is not all there is, then you and I can be like many a men and women before us, gleefully give our life. Because we know this is not an indication of God condemning me, finding fault with me. I've not done anything wrong. And that's a tough word that um, Paul is trying to inoculate the Roman Christians with because in time um, they will all suffer. And the Roman Christians would even be driven underground into catacombs. And persecution would break out for the first 300 years of the uh, birth of Christianity, it would seem as though God is not for these people, the people of the way. And Paul is like, no, 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 don't you dare redefine God or reinterpret God based upon your condition, your circumstance. <laughs> there is no condemnation. So he says, uh, don't redefine God. Look again here at verse 38. He says, I'm persuaded. I have this confidence, this conviction, that neither death nor life, whether I die or whether I live, nothing is going to reinterpret God for me or the love of God for me, the favor of God towards me. He says, angels, when Satan shows up at my doorstep and harass me as he might have harassed Job. That is no indication that God is against me, condemning me. He says, principalities, governmental principalities, spiritual principalities. Paul is basically saying, I don't care who in the universe comes against me. It does not alter God's favor to me. He's justifying of me. His love towards me. Nothing, he's going to say, can separate me. Powers, powers and principalities of the air, be they governmental powers, nature powers, demon powers, height or depth, whether I live up on the mountain or I live in the valley, if I live down in the gutter of the ocean, it doesn't matter where I am on this planet. Nor... Any creature that comes against me, if a lion storms me, or I fight in the gladiator stands, no creature that tears me apart can reinterpret God's love towards me. There is no condemnation. All that's happening is that I'm being martyred. End of story. All that's happening is that circumstantially right now, my life is in jeopardy. But my life in jeopardy Paul is trying to teach us here has nothing to do with the love of God for you because we have a false notion of the love of God. See, the love of God, we think, is a red carpet. It's, it's a castle. It's a princess and kingly story. The love of God is a story of abundance. And of course, it is all of that and more. 
But we have a false notion. Love means romance and roses. And Paul says, the love of God is demonstrated in letting Christ die. This is love. A dying man. Love is not a feeling. Love is not everything working together just harmoniously. And it's just so sweet and I get goosebumps. And it's just, oh, that's not love. We have a misperception of love. And Paul says basically here, the agape, unchanging love of God is for you. And even if you die, it's no indication of God's love. Not at all. He says, uh, nothing will be able to separate you from the love of God which is for you in Christ Jesus. Praise the Lord. He says, all of these things is not evidence of God being against you. God is for you even if nothing goes right. This is Paul's understanding of the love of God. make the mistake to conclude when things are tough. Why has God forsaken me? Why has He left me? Did I do something wrong to be cursed of God, to be under His condemnation again? And that's why this passage in Romans 8 is so powerful. Nothing can separate you, and nothing should redefine the love of God for you. So what then happens when circumstances are unfavorable? Well, that's life. And yeah, Satan may even be in it. Satan may even create a whirlwind about you and trip everything up around you. He is out to steal and kill and destroy. Absolutely. And should it even touch you in martyrdom, Paul is just wanting you to know, You are not dying under the condemnation of God. You are not dying trying to earn favor with God. You're not dying alone. You're dying in Jesus Christ. And for Paul, this is a message the Romans had to hear. And for me, this is a message we desperately need to hear. And I'll close with this one last thought. Actually, in Greek, The no comes at the head of the sentence. In English, it doesn't make sense to write it that way. We say, there is therefore now no condemnation. In the Greek, the sentence is cattywampus. And no English Bible can do a literal translation. It just would not make sense. But in Greek, the no is at the upstart of the sentence. It actually is no condemnation now is therefore for those who are in Christ Jesus. Paul's emphasis is no condemnation.